You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the second part of conference coverage highlights from the Alliance for Continuing Medical Education 36th Annual Conference held January 26th through January 29th in San Francisco. I'm your host, Lawrence Sherman, Senior Vice President, Educational Strategy at Prova Education, and the host of Lifelong Learning on ReachMD. Now joining us is Dr. Jack Keyes, Assistant Senior Vice President for Continuous Professional Development at the University of Cincinnati Academic Health Centers. Jack, good to see you. Good to see you too, Lawrence. What we're doing here is we're sort of talking to some folks who've been through some of the sessions and trying to get a sense for our listeners, who are mostly practicing physicians, what the take-home messages from this conference were this year compared to years past. Well, I would say a couple of things we've noticed this year, and it's really a continuation of previous years, is our members and the attendees are very much interested in some of the practice issues that are facing physicians. So quality improvement or performance improvement were big-ticket items at this presentation, both at the plenary and some of the breakout sessions. Also, there was a fair amount of concern about how we as CME professionals can address some of the regulatory things that are going to be facing some of the physicians like maintenance of certification part four, which is it's here and uh, CME professionals want to address those issues as well. Let's talk a little bit about quality. Um, If our physician listeners are trying to judge the CME activities that they may participate in, what measures of quality should they use? Unlike, I think, what we think of as traditional CME, we are moving away from lectures. We are moving away from clinical content-only presentations. What physicians, I think, can expect to see or should be looking for are issues that start with managing or, or dealing with patients and how can I help patients. So part of those presentations are going to address strategies for treatment, but it should also address strategies for screening and strategies for how physicians may have to make some changes in their practice to be able to adapt to some of the challenges in treating patients like this. That's interesting. That's come up in some of the other interviews that we've been conducting, and it's sort of the physician role in practice has almost gone from physician provider to physician mentor and physician educator, even if they didn't sign up for that. Well, they may not have known they signed up for it, (laughs) but I think it's always been part of that profession. And I think that what many physicians realize is the knowledge that they acquire through traditional CME activities can be challenging to apply in their practices and so what they should expect is that CME programs will help them learn not only what changes to make but help them make the changes. Jack, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. The Healthcare Reform Act is opening a variety of new areas in CME for physicians. The medical practice not only needs to acquire expertise in new healthcare information technologies but also in how to put this knowledge into practice. Joining me now is Leah Newkirk, Director of Health Policy for the California Academy of Family Physicians. Our experience has been using a specific educational model, the collaboratory. Um, it's a model that has been popularized by the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. It's an intensive, short-term learning system that brings together practice groups to focus on a specific topic area. 
And historically, the focus, it was sort of derived from the chronic care model, and so the focus would be on specific chronic illnesses. But the model has always encouraged practices to use health information technology. For example, patient registries, clinical decision support tools, and other technologies. It's a fairly new model for education. It's basically been around since 1995. And I think what will interest Alliance members is this, it really does bring in this focus on health information technology that has been missing from other learning systems. This model seems to offer some successes as well in terms of a way of organizing the learning. The collaboratories have been highly successful in changing practices and improving outcomes for patients. Um, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement indicates that you know collaboratories can have a 50% reduction in hospitalizations for a specific illness after practices participate in that in the collaboratory with a focus on that illness. Um, I've seen statistics like participating practices in a collaboratory reduce patient waiting times by 25%, less dramatic, but they do have a real impact on the practices and on patients' experiences with the practice. Thanks for joining us, Leah. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Now I'm speaking with Dr. Hank Chaudhry, President and CEO of the Federation of State Medical Boards. Dr. Chaudhry discussed the 2010 action by the FSMB to strengthen the process of medical license renewal in the changing practice environments of medicine. The concept of a maintenance of licensure, while it may date back to 2004, actually the framework for maintenance of licensure was adopted by our House of Delegates last April and envisions three basic components for the practicing physician, which we know deep down that most physicians are already doing. One is this notion of reflective self-assessment, which is our first component. Another component is knowledge and skills. And the third component is performance and practice. Now, those were just concepts last year when the House of Delegates approved those concepts. And what we've been doing in the past year has been having further discussions and conversations about, well, what exactly does that mean? So we've begun to flesh out those things. And one of the things that's very apparent is all those physicians who are doing maintenance of specialty board certification or osteopathic continuous certification, we are now going to be recommending that those fully we're going to be recommending should substantially comply with maintenance of licensure because those programs are already robust and include all three of those components. The challenge, of course, is that you have physicians who are either not board certified, not seeking maintenance of certification or osteopathic continuous certification, or are grandfathered and don't have to do it. What do you do for them? And that's where CME is going to play a big role. And I was very delighted to see, as I see before me now, actually, posters and research and evidence demonstrating an interest in performance improvement CME and new ways in which CME can be delivered. So two of the recommendations coming out of our implementation group are, one, that the CME that state boards ask of physicians should be practice relevant, probably a majority should be practice relevant, which would mean at least half, and that the CME be encouraged to include things like performance improvement CME, which already many of the CME providers are now doing. So it's recognizing all the changes that are going on and recommending that physicians start to think this way because over the next several years, as maintenance of licensure is implemented, physicians will need to be able to demonstrate that.
The design of the FSMB MOL framework is flexible enough to allow for how CME and other learning is actually delivered. We're less interested in how it's delivered than to make sure that the basic components are being accomplished. Part of the reason why I demonstrated today and showed the multiple options by which physicians can achieve this is very important. Fundamentally, CME has gone leaps and bounds over the last several decades, and so web-based CME is no longer unusual. Online CME, patient satisfaction surveys, peer review type of uh, assessments, all these sorts of things are in place in many parts of the country and, frankly, enables us to move forward with maintenance of licensure. Had these things not been in place, I think it would have been more of a challenge to do this maintenance of licensure, let's say, 30 or 40 years ago. So we are recognizing the advances in technology that are taking place, and the state boards are, over time, going to be moving forward. I'll also mention that we have at least a half a dozen state medical boards that are interested in piloting maintenance of licensure as we move forward. The Ohio Medical Board recently voted to do that. The California Osteopathic board also voted to do that, and so we feel there'll be a whole bunch of states that are interested in doing this. Ultimately, this is up to the states to do, though. We're not going to be enforcing this. It's a guidance that they have put together. Thank you, Dr. Chaudhry. Always a pleasure. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the second part of conference coverage highlights from the 36th Annual Alliance for CME Conference. I'm Lawrence Sherman, your host. The theme of embracing the changing world of the fundamental way medicine is practiced was echoed by physician Joseph Scherger. Vice President for Primary Care at Eisenhower Medical Center in Rancho Mirage, California. Well, my message to the Alliance is that the whole process of healthcare is changing, and it's actually changing not because of healthcare legislation or the Affordable Care Act. It's changing because we're moving into a whole new age, the information age. The way we've been delivering care was driven by the automobile and the telephone, and it was episodic and appointment-based and not very convenient and really not in sync with what's happened to other service industries by the impact of information technology and the Internet. I am online with all of my patients. That is the front door or the first tier of communication. I use the telephone as a second tier, and then the face-to-face visit is a third-tier activity. Now, I still spend most of my days seeing patients, but those visits are done with a selective purpose, and they're time-intensive. So no more of these brief visits where the work you need to do is much greater. Now, we'll still fit in a patient to look at a rash or check the ear, so it isn't like brief visits go away, but they don't become the unit of care anymore. And Dr. Sugar says the new models of medical practice have profound implications for the way medical education should be delivered. The old education was memorizing how to diagnose and treat patients, as if you could actually put that into your mind and have it at all times. I mean, certainly doctors need to know the language of medicine. They need to develop good clinical judgment, and there is a lot of knowledge to be obtained. But the truth of the matter is, it's using information. We have, you know, the doctor of the future, which is really the present, should have a computer in every exam room with a screen that can be easily seen by the patient. And I'm using Google and other search engines constantly during visits 
visits to show people McKenzie exercises for their back or to uh, what testosterone levels by age change. All of that is about information management with the patient. And then, of course, the tools of care are such that we have all the things like electronic prescribing, which is kind of magical. The patient loves it when the pharmacy has the prescription before they ever leave the room, for example. But they see the guidelines of care. They understand the care in their own context. But it's a whole new way of working. The CME is about this new way of working and the really big point it's the doctor not just as the diagnostician and the treater it's the doctor as a coach the doctor as an advisor the doctor you know as a motivational person to help people achieve better health those roles are not completely new it's just that they become just as important in the transaction of care as the old traditional roles What it says about education is education should be for the emerging world. And we are really at a sea change. It's changes is, history is kind of like a river. And if you look at a river, there's a lot of times where the river's running very slowly. It almost looks like it's not even moving. But then there are times where the river runs into rapids and even has a waterfalls. And if you look at the history of the process of healthcare, I mean, there's been lots of process changes. I mean, a couple hundred years ago, we were putting leeches on people, and, you know, change happened. And And the model of the medical office building and the busy waiting room and the appointments, that was all invented in the 60s. Prior to that, doctors spent half their day doing house calls. So we had a model that was invented in the 60s that had its 40-year or so run, which is typical, that is now radically changing. So we need to educate for the new model. And I find sometimes education conservative. I think the challenge for CME is don't just listen to the doctors who are reacting against change. You're going to need to lead your doctors into this new process. And it's no longer theoretical in most markets because there are now more and more applications of it. And it also, I think for doctors in independent private practice, you need to think about becoming part of a system, become part of something larger. You can still have your small office, your personal relationships, but you need to connect into a larger system that knows how to navigate this emerging accountable care organization world we're going to move into. Thank you so much, Dr. Sugar. Thank you. This has been the second part of conference coverage highlights from the 36th Annual Alliance for CME Conference. I'm Lawrence Sherman on ReachMD XM160, ReachMD Online, On Demand, and On Air. Visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening.